Jerry Developer News, episode number 96 for Friday, March 6th, 2015. I'm Ken Ripple talking to you from NGConf 2015 in beautiful Salt Lake City, Utah. A city which I've seen from the air and with my feet on the ground, but I have not gotten to those mountains yet, and that is my Saturday. Anyway, um, we're going to be bringing you, uh, just for me, because I went out to NGCOM, I'm going to be giving you a show report both today and tomorrow, so we'll be doing two of these dev news back-to-back, um, and hopefully you'll enjoy it. Uh, again, the developer news is sponsored by and hosted by Chariot Solutions. You can find our show at uh, chariotsolutions.com slash devnews, um, and you can subscribe to us on iTunes. Uh, we're, we're going to that website and clicking on the link, um, and... Uh, Hope you enjoy the uh, content. Hi, this is Ken Ripple at Cherry Solutions, and I'm here with a uh, quick um, well, maybe not so quick, but a, a good update on the Angular NG Conference 2015 here in Salt Lake City, Utah, uh, day one. I wanted to get a quicker report out here because there was a ton of news today, um, or I should say, uh, I'm talking first thing the next morning, but um, lots of information came out of the conference. Um, starting off, uh, there was a really nice keynote um, with Igor Minar and Brad Green talking about uh, the status of, you know, the, the, the um, in general, 2.0, where it's going, what it's doing. And so, uh, you know, they start off by talking about, you know, how, you know, they are very driven by the principles. They feel that uh, they want to be good caretakers of Angular in the community, uh, and they know the community is very important. They laid out that they do um, development in basically a way where they they are you know participating with the open source community as partners as opposed to kind of uh, some of the companies that basically either are closed source or of course open source where they provide open source but really the community doesn't have any input and they laid out a lot of statistics and information about that that's uh, very compelling uh, certainly there's a lot of people doing things like github pull requests and uh, and there's a lot of contributors that are outside of the angular uh, core team I should say at least outside of uh, Google uh, committing uh, code into the uh, code base. And so, you know, before they kind of set us up for the 2.0 discussion, they wanted to say that they understand that that, that trust is vital and they understand that. Um, and, you know, basically for this whole two days of the conference, there's a whole lot of content around the future of Angular, where it's heading. Of course, there would be because it's an Angular conference, but it's essentially laying out, you know, that uh, they're dealing with a lot of new things coming up for 2.0, and they're tr- they're wrestling with and grappling with what the best way is to move forward with both 1.x and 2.x. And I think there's a larger theme here um, in that, you know, browsers have been changing so much. Uh, ECMAScript 6 has brought a lot of potentially good features to the language. Um, but one thing that became pretty clear is they're looking for ways to make developers more productive to uh, make your code less boilerplate you know to to make it so that you can find uh, errors more easily and so one of the themes 
is they've really been going down this road of getting cozy with TypeScript. Um, and they brought up uh, Microsoft's TypeScript uh, lead uh, to talk about where they were heading with TypeScript at one point. Um, you know, there's this, there's this uh, language called AtScript, which is an extension of TypeScript, um, which we'll get into in a little bit, but just to, to kind of talk through, you know, their commitment to it. Uh, they're doing development of Angular 2 and a lot of their new features in basically ECMAScript 6 and TypeScript. And they're compiling down using a transpiler, which basically translates it to ECMAScript 5 for current developers. And then they um, are allowing people who, if they want to move forward with ECMAScript 6, they can do that as well. So they're basically being informed by, uh, you know, techniques out there that are making it easier to write more uh, type safe code, so to speak. And that's one of the reasons they're going down that development route. They, you know, they see that the language is slowly adding things like class support and, you know, constructors and, and really useful things there. Um, and they see that they really want to start working with that now. And they've really kind of gone down the road with uh, the, the transpilers like Tracer uh, of making that available to their team while still developing in five. And, and I know that, uh, or at least letting you develop in five. I know if you go back to my interview with um, uh, Mushko back in December, he was uh, kind of bringing that point home and explaining that, that was important. But it was definitely obvious today. So, um, you know, in the keynote, they laid that out, that uh, they're principle driven uh, and that they care about what the community uh, feels is important. And so I think that there was, there was a fair amount of questioning about where Angular was going um, with 2.0 back in November at NGConf Europe. It caused a lot of questioning in the community. I was curious, a lot of the developers that I knew were curious about, you know, what is the future going to look like for two? And um, they were very, very conscious of that. So, um, you know, they talked a bit about the fact that they kind of doubled their team, um, that, uh, you know, they've got a lot of, of uh, work on 1.x going on. Pete Bacon Darwin took over Igor Minar's lead uh, of the 1.x team, uh, and they made a formalized team for 1.x. So, you know, 1.x isn't going away anytime soon, as we were already told, but there's a very interesting uh, plan that they have here. And so what they said was, at the time uh, that they were doing these statistics at NGConf Europe, there were about 1,600 apps that Google uh, used internally that are in 1.4. And now there's over 2,000, um, you know, 100,000 GitHubs, uh, 964,000 uh, 30-day users. And they realized that the tons of people are using 1.x and, and that they're not going to just turn off the switch and move. Um, what they've done, though, is they've split the development of Angular 2, and if you look on GitHub, this has been the case. If you go to AngularJS slash Angular, that is the Angular 2 repository. But now they've created a, a website that they announced uh, just yesterday, angular.io, and that will be the 2.x site. So interestingly, uh, they're going to look at the traffic and you know downloads and activity on GitHub uh, to watch how many people are working in each branch to get signals from the community. Um, because honestly, they really don't know uh, what the adoption rate is going to be for 2.0. They don't want to leave the 1.x developers in the dark. 
So they feel that they're going to follow what the community's lead is. And I think that's kind of an interesting way to do it because um, if they take that approach and people aren't moving to 2.0 immediately, they're certainly going to put a lot of focus on the one point X uh, angle. Uh, so I thought that was pretty pretty much a master stroke there. Um, now, interestingly also, um, they're starting to build different platforms uh, and APIs that will be compatible with both 1.x and 2.x. Um, and we'll talk about that in a little bit, but you know, the goal here, in their opinion, is to write the future APIs you would use on a regular basis, like routing, uh, in a way that you can run in both platforms and kind of shift your thinking more to the way that Angular 2 is going to approach it. And so I think uh, today there's gonna to be a talk uh, that's gonna discuss how you would code in preparation for Angular 2, which looked really good. They also talked about a migration plan and they, they realize that they truly need one uh, and that they're working on that right now um, for people so they can answer their you know managers and their planning people like, what do we do about 2 and how do we approach it? Um, you know, do we go from 1 to 2 and in what fashion? And they've been discussing a bunch of different techniques for that. Um, you know, the concept of either the big bang of switching to 2 or incremental support of in embedding 2 in a 1.x application. And it seems like they're really going to try to support both ways of doing it. John Papa is putting together a migration guide uh, that will be out at some point uh, in the near future that we can start looking at of how can you actually code for two and then ultimately how do you move to two. So let's look for that and I'll, I'll have information about that when I get it. For now though, John Papa actually wrote a style guide and actually um, I believe this is something they're merging with another one as well. And I discovered this late last year. It's absolutely an excellent resource. You know, if you're a beginning Angular developer and you want to figure out how to properly format your code, uh, you know, how do I structure things so other people can read it? It's a really, really great little GitHub documentation site, and I'll put that in the show notes. And I think it's all based on that. They're also um, looking at, as you're coding in one, um, you know, the, the new router itself is going to be central uh, to how you would code to make your code portable to 2.x. Um, and so I know a lot of people have looked at the new, uh, the, the current router and switched over to UI router. Uh, they're aware of that. And so um, the, the UI router was built with 1.x in mind, not really 2.x, but there is an issue for the uh, 1.x router um, to bring it up to speed to support some of the new features in, in Angular 2 uh, and the ways of coding in Angular 2 so that it will also be ready uh, ultimately for you to use in both platforms, which I think is pretty exciting. So that was a big announcement. Um, their goal again was to make sure that, you know, people don't think that Angular 2 is going to um, basically leave them in the dust and make it impossible for them to work in Angular 1. So I thought that was a really compelling thing. Now, if you're looking at where Angular 2 is, um, it certainly is in the very, very, very early alpha stages. Um, they've been working on it a long time, but there's a lot of plumbing they had to do and a lot of just basic, um, you know, um, groundwork to, to lay down. Um, and they've been working a lot on things like this TypeScript uh, and ECMAScript 6 stuff. So let's talk about that a little bit more. Um, when they were discussing AtScript, uh, 
they, they pointed out, there was a little graphic where they kind of drew a few nested circles of um, levels of coding features. And they started with uh, ECMAScript 5, and then they drew a circle around it, which was, you know, the features of ECMAScript 6 were 5 plus this much more. And then TypeScript was an additional set of features, mostly things like typing, parameter checking, um, you know. Uh, so, so, you know, having the ability to support a lot of interesting um, developer-centric features that make the, the development tools help you do code fill and, and such. And then they drew um, around that at script, which was their extensions to TypeScript. And these are annotations. So you can say this, for example, is a web component. Um, and so what they announced, they brought the, uh, the at script, I'm sorry, the TypeScript developer uh, lead, Jonathan Turner, up on the stage. They, they announced that actually they've been working very closely with the TypeScript team. And the annotation support is going to be built into TypeScript 1.5. And they're officially dropping at script. So um, whatever uh, that term is will now be folded into TypeScript. And all those annotations they're trying to fold back in with a uh, TC number 39 to the JavaScript language long term. So that should be very, very interesting. They've also worked with the Google Tracer team um, to build these features into Tracer itself. So um, the annotation support will be in Tracer until it's in the uh, TypeScript um, processor. Um, they've also been working a lot with the V8 team to make sure that the types uh, features are embedded in Chrome and anything that uses V8, which is really good too. And they've also been working with the Closure compiler team uh, where they want to be able to do uh, annotations in ECMAScript 6 with the closure team. So there's been a lot of groundwork laid. And if you look at that, you know, in, in the kind of stepping back, we're really setting ourselves up for JavaScript development in the next major platform, which is ECMAScript 6. Now, I know um, that's controversial to some degree with some people. You know, ECMAScript 6 is not completely supported across all browsers, but they feel with uh, Tracer or compiling it down to ECMAScript 5, and there's other tools like uh, Babel, uh, which used to be called 6 to 5, um, they feel that it's possible for them to develop in that mode, be highly productive, and then also support backward compatibility with everybody else until people can come on board. All right, um, and so so that that's basically the, the at script being retired. Also, the interesting thing is there is an Angular Dart project, and you know, it was kind of a bifurcated process. They built it, uh, they built the Dart version of Angular to kind of build on a more modern language platform. And, you know, they spent their time doing that and they realized over time that they've also got a very modern language in TypeScript and the benefits of uh, Angular Dart uh, development and Dart natively, most of those could be covered with TypeScript itself. So now what they've done is they've taken the Dart um, platform and they're using Tracer to cross-compile Dart out of ECMAScript 6 and TypeScript, which basically means that now they doubled the Angular team because the Dart team was roughly the size of, a, almost the size of the Angular team. Maybe not, but, but it was a, a, a number of people. Uh, and basically now they're all able to work on Angular 2 and cross-compile the code down to Dart, ECMAScript 5, or let people develop in ECMAScript 6 as we, we learned in the uh, TechCast 85 um, with, um, with Bishko. 
And here's another interesting thing. Um, the Ember team and the Broccoli team, for example, are also um, collaborating a bit with the Angular team. I think everyone's looking at trying to improve developer productivity. So, for example, um, the, you know, they work with the Ember CLI team um, to try to figure out a way to um, make it easier to infer types. And so they're using, for example, the example some of the pieces of uh, the Ember library, uh, even in the new router, for example, there's a route parser library that they're working with. Um, and they're also working with the Ember team to, you know, discuss the annotations support, and they want to make sure that there's a lot of collaboration across all the teams. Uh, and they basically had said, you know, they're looking for uh, that as opposed to, you know, the my framework is better than yours. It's more of a hack we all work together to make the future of JavaScript development brighter. And so, you know, ultimately the type type uh, script team is looking at TypeScript as being something, in fact, where they want to move the language forward in ECMAScript 7 and 8 more towards the feature of TypeScript. And I think they're, they're getting some traction in some of those discussions. Okay, so on to 2.0 itself. And so they had a discussion around that. Um, First of all, they're going to get rid of the need for scopes. Um, instead of scopes, they're going with this concept of zones. And um, zones basically are a way of kind of, you know, grouping together areas of data that would be normally used with scope. Um, components themselves will kind of have their own data zone. Um, and this also lets them uh, uh, do a, a hook in for events in the browser automatically. There's a talk by Brian Ford in NGConf 2014 laying out the Zones API, so I know I'm gonna go look at that and check out what that is. Um, they are getting rid of bi-directional um, uh, bindings, which is probably going to be the biggest uh, pill to swallow for Angular 1 developers. Um, I know that we, when we got started with Angular, you know, you looked at it and you, you saw how immediate it was to develop in. And one of the first cool things was I type over here, as one of the other conference members said in one of our panels, I type over here, it shows up over there, and it took me very little code to do that. Um, now, what they're basically saying is, yes, that's true. Hold on, though, because the ng model tag, there's going to be something similar to that um, for us to have that immediate binding. But this concept of two-directional data binding was a performance killer for large applications, and they felt that it was a bad programming style. So that's one big thing that will be different. Um, and I think we'll find out a little bit more about that hopefully today in some of the other talks. Um, they will be using declarative syntax for a lot of things. Uh, for the templates, for example, um, you know, it makes it easier when they use different symbols for an expression binding versus a model element binding versus an event um, for the page parser and also for things like linting tools to find bugs in your code. So ultimately, even though, for example, the templates have probably been the most uh, complained about piece of Angular 2 uh, in that people look at the new style and some people look at it and go yuck and other people uh, say it's the way forward. I think the way forward people are correct in that they needed a way to be able to lexically parse these pages and figure out what's going on so that they can figure out, oh, you're trying to use a, a, an expression binding here when really you want to connect to an event um, and so on. So I think it'll help everyone in the, in the community ultimately uh, once we move to that template language 
but of course there's going to be a fair amount of learning there to, to figure that out. Um, and you know that's basically to help the developers long term. Um, they also talked about um, you know directives. Um, you know basically there's a bunch of APIs built into one thing, and so now basically they're tr they're getting rid of a lot of the twenty some directives that you would have used before. Uh, they they explained that in Angular two a lot of what you're trying to do there you won't need anymore. Um, you'll be boiling it down to four directives you use all the time. And so that should be kind of interesting to see. Um, they're also going to be using ECMAScript's module system. Um, and so, you know, they feel that that is the way forward, that a lot of these other things like RequireJS and CommonJS and uh, JSPM are all basically bridges to the future. And so they're also agreeing with that philosophy. And they're going to make sure that you can shim in whatever you need for older browsers. Um, and so we'll see where that goes, but that's definitely one thing they're going to do. Um, in fact, your components are like many, many uh, uh, modules as well, I think, in this new system. Um, they're also looking at web components, you know, things like the, the template right now, um, and, you know, the Shadow DOM. Ultimately, some of this stuff is going to be web component API stuff, ultimately. So they're going to fold in web components with the Angular um, platform when you're on an, an ECMAScript uh, platform that supports web components uh, and I'm assuming they're going to shim it back to you know the standard uh, basically uh, trans transclusion stuff where not. Um, they also built a benchmarking platform um, called um, what is it uh, I forget the name of it, but anyways, they, they, they built a, a whole benchmarking tool platform and they've, they've actually been doing their benchmarking uh, in Angular in the code base. So if you um, take this uh, Angular 2 repository, um, you know, they will actually right out of the box when you build, they run benchmarks every single time. And so the, the team is always looking for performance hits. They have a, a benchmark in this thing uh, called, and it's, it's called BenchPress, by the way. Um, they have a deep tree check, for example, where they go through and they just create a large group of related objects that are connected by a tree structure. Um, and in, in uh, basically, uh, in the Angular one time frame, uh, they you know are something like you know they used a number of like 8.58 uh, times of baseline. If they wrote this tree structure processing in flat, straight out ECMAScript JavaScript, um, it took eight times or almost nine times longer to traverse a deep tree and process a deep tree uh, in Angular 1. They brought that way down in Angular 2 to uh, 3.1 in the current benchmarks. They're actually even adding uh, a template cache so that um, when you route from place to place, they kind of warmed up the template. They don't get rid of it. They just disconnect the scope from it. Um, and this is going to be all part of the new router, um, which potentially could help Angular 1, by the way. That brings it down to 1.4 uh, times baseline. So for tree traversal, for example, for deep tree, um, they're really seeing very, very close to standard JavaScript uh, in their abstraction uh, for change change detection for that tree and traversal of that tree, which is potentially huge. Um, and also, what they're trying to do is they're trying to be more memory memory. Uh, efficient. So the more they do that, the faster the framework is going to go. So they're really focusing for performance in 
large applications because they're really seeing Angular being used in a large-scale way out there in the community. They're also looking at uh, immutability of the data sets um, in Angular 2. So, you know, for example, if they're immutable, you don't really have to watch them anymore. Um, and so they're going to so they're going to try to find ways to get you to think in more immutable programming techniques. And we've seen this in things like, you know, Scala, for example, where the minute you make something immutable, you get rid of a lot of the strange uh, issues with updatability and such, um, and, you know, thread safety in those platforms. But basically when you do that, um, you really make it easy to gut a lot of this um, uh, watch detection. And watches are one of the killers of performance in Angular. So, you know, the more watches you have, the, the slower it gets. Uh, and so that should be very compelling. Now, in terms of shipping something, they certainly weren't going to try to say that they were ready. Um, but there's a very interesting thing they announced, which is they will be starting to port their first uh, internal Google app. And it's not a small app. It's a, it's a significant one. Um, they're going to be taking that over uh, and moving it into Angular 2 uh, sometime in the May time frame. Um, there's a website preview now, angular.io, uh, that will happen in May, and they're going to then fold back that information and, and look at what they've had to do and adjust and come up with a more realistic time frame. Um, if I were a betting man, um, I'm wondering if it's sometime by the end of the summer, who knows where they'll have their first real beta, but uh, probably it looks like it's not going to be two years out. It's more going to be, you know, shorter time frame than that. Um, maybe this year, which would be great. So that is a recap of the keynote, which I thought was a very interesting uh, and compelling uh, case for why and what they're doing with Angular 2. One of the more interesting talks uh, in day one was Brian Ford's talk on the new router. He, he uh, is the lead on the new router at this point, um, and he has daily stand-up talks, uh, or I should say daily stand-up meetings that he uh, does through um, Google Docs, and I'll post a, a link to that folder uh, for the new router there, so you can look at those. Um, but, you know, he, he started by talking about the fact that uh, Rob Eisenberg and a number of other people uh, were really the people that started this whole process. Um, and that they, he owes a great debt to them. Um, so they have this new object, the app controller. Um, and the app controller is the way that you configure the new router. And so you set a route config object, uh, and then you're able to set things like for a particular path, here's the, uh, now they use a term component that you route to. And so the main thing is that they're looking at uh, components as the way forward when you can think long-term web component but essentially what they laid it out is well the component is really for now uh, until Angular 2 is, is fleshed out a controller and a view and its related objects um, they're generally stored within the same directory structure and then when you do that um, you're basically modularizing your code so to speak which means you're starting to set it up in a way that you can work with in Angular 2 as well um, and they're making it so the new router supports uh, viewports. So the NG view, for example, was the way to attach the 1.0 router to a view. And you only had one of them. Um, now they have viewports. And viewports can be nested. You can have multiple ones of them. They're named. And so you can really start composing. You know, when I switch this route, 
uh, trigger this master detail relationship or modify the right side but not the menu bar or you know all these different relationships between uh, blocks of content on the page. Um, basically what you do in a component in your controller is you use controller as and you do um, add to this um, basically similar to that um, they will out of the box route with ng animate um, you can have um, nested and sibling routes as I mentioned um, and there's a ton of lifecycle hooks so for example whenever something is about to change when you uh, want to go from place to place you can link into that and he showed a really interesting um, example of you know editing something and having a cancel detect there was a change and the data was stale uh, you know or I should say that the, the data was modified and they wanted to be able to do change detection and say you know what I don't want to route at this point I want to cancel the route and move back um, you know your typical modal kind of edit process and he laid out the case, which is a fair one, that in Angular 1, there was a lot of work to do there. Um, but then he showed them some code, which I'll, I'll, I'll link to the code base uh, in the sample. Uh, he, he showed some code from the sample that uh, he was able to detect um, with this kind of edit post hook that he put together, uh, that he could detect that and easily route back with a very simple expression, which makes it really nice to be able to do things like dialogues and you know routing based on conditions. Um, the migration uh, plan is a work in process. Um, so right now they're not going to get rid of the ng route router. They're going to call this ng new router. Um, and so you'll mount that instead of ng route, and you'll convert your bindings over, and and your basically routes to these components. But it's kind of an interesting and 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 tricky um, uh, trickery way of doing it, which is they're trying to get you to think about componentized web development early on. And that is the way forward to Angular 2. And the router is going to be this, basically the key thing to do to get yourself ready for Angular 2. He even laid out the case that uh, you could do uh, migration to Angular 2 in an incremental fashion. So, for example, let's say that you're doing a lot of development in the uh, 1 right now, because that's what you have the code with, and you're going to start incorporating Angular 2 into the mix. Um, he, he labeled that the top-down approach and the router is going to support that which is you will run uh, the router and uh, the main platform in NG1 uh, Angular 1 and then you will put pieces of the app in Angular 2 and embed them in the application uh, and you know developers have done this technique at a lot of platforms I know that we have had you know customers in the Java world where they started off with JSF and they realized um, you know it just didn't work for them and so they migrated to Spring and Spring MVC, and they were able to add Spring MVC routes um, while slowly retiring the um, JSF routes. And, and certainly that's a technique that you could use here. You know, slowly retire your 1.0 code as you move to 2, um, but keeping within the same code base and having shared common objects, which should be, you know, A, challenging, but B, if it is the path forward, that's a really nice way to go. And then if you had uh, an app that was a new app, but it had to support some Angular 1 features, uh, they could use the bottom-up approach, um, which is basically running Angular 2 and invoking some things in Angular 1. I'm sorry, that's top-down. Um, that's top-down. Running Angular 2 and running Angular 1 in Angular 2. And bottom-up, as they put it, was running Angular 1 and embedding Angular 2 in Angular 1. So he's looking at both ways, whether I got that right or not. Um, 
And he also mentioned that the UI router team uh, from the Angular UI project has an issue number 1759, uh, which is how they're going to uh, approach their migration to being able to do things in very much the same way uh, to support Angular 2 development as well as Angular 1. Now the new router will have bindings for 1.4 and he expects that to be released in two weeks so before the end of March or early April. Um, from that point forward it is not going to be part of 1.4 and also I think this was a good plan. It is a separate project that supports 1.4 and supports 2.0 and he's going to be using Semver, uh, and if you're not a Node developer, you probably don't know what Semver is. But Semver is a uh, release naming process. If you've ever installed things with npm or with Bower and used the uh, you know the the uh, package.json file or the Bower.json files, um, they use Semver for all their version numbering. He will have independent releases of the new router. Um, that you can then upgrade to as you want to add features from the new router. Um, so very interesting way of doing it uh, and lots of really good stuff coming out of the new router. So I would say if you're looking at how you might migrate to two uh, and you're you know you're planning on doing it, your first step is to look at that new router and incorporate it into your applications and think in the way that they want you to think for routing in two by using the new routing process. That will be the new router for both one and two. And it's on angular.github.io, sorry, or whatever it is. Um, the angular, um, yeah, angular.github.io, the new site slash router. And I'll have a link to that in the show notes. Okay. Um, and, and just to make sure that they uh, showed their commitment to the 1.4 folks um, or the Angular 1 team, um, they brought out um, Lucas and Pavel, uh, the two uh, two of the developers on the Angular uh, 1.4 project, uh, to talk about a number of different things. Um, and one of the things that they tweeted was uh, an interesting tweet from PayPal, uh, you know, saying basically they integrate Angular into the checkout experience, and billions of dollars are now being uh, paid. Uh, using AngularJS, so we should all be proud of that as Angular developers. Um, you know, they talked about um, release 1.3, kind of recapping that was released at the time of uh, NGConf Europe, uh, that there were 14, um, let's see, major new features. Um, I'm sorry, 14 major patch releases. There were 400 commits. Um, I'm not sure how actually how many features there were there. Um, but that, uh, um, oh, 35 new, I'm sorry, no, it was, that's right. Uh, and then they talk about 1.4 being 35 plus new features, 650 commits, um, and uh, over 140 bugs fixed, which I think is great. Um, so they're saying now that they feel like their release timeframes for the 1.x uh, timeline are, are very predictable. They've got a good team in place. They've got good uh, you know, um, velocity going on. They've got a lot of reporting and a lot of information about bugs um, that they can really track and, and trace back very quickly. And then they went into the new features. So um, the 1.4 team is kind of folding the router into their new feature. Um, you could argue long-term that's not going to be the case, but they feel that's a major new feature for 1.4. So that was one thing they laid the case for. Uh, they then uh, mentioned the internationalization, which is a huge upgrade. Um, that they really needed to support a robust internationalization set of features. So they've done that. 
Um, there's a re rewritten version of the NG Animate module, uh, which is supposed to improve performance vastly uh, and make things uh, easier to work with. They, you know, released that NG Messages library in back in the 1.3 timeframe, uh, and they realized that for form developers, it's it's a nightmare without that. There's a lot of you know embedding of ifs and things like that to show messages, and so um, they realize that they want you they they want to be able to support what you're looking for, which is things like dynamic messages, you know, doing expressions to figure out whether to show a message, grouping together nicely, um, you know, and so they can even deal with ng repeat, so you can kind of walk through fields and repeat them and fold in messages in an expression, which I think is really cool. Um, the ng cookies needed some update. It was one of the older modules. So for example, one thing you couldn't do before was you couldn't set the path and the domain of the cookie. So a lot of people had to work around in ng cookies and just write their own cookie module. So they've done that. The updating process for the cookies has been cleaned up um, and the removed polling of the cookies. So now they will get more performance out of them. Uh, so if you're dealing with cookies, I think you should look at the new 1.4 features, especially if you've had to do workarounds around it. That should really help you out. They've increased the digest cycle time 30%, which is huge. Um, they've shrunk the memory footprint of Angular 1.4. That's small, 2, point, uh, 2 to 4%. That's small, but it's every little bit helps. Um, and that does vary based on the browser. Um, and so they really feel that you need to upgrade. <laughs> um, they are supporting the same browsers. You know, I know that uh, they dropped future support of enhancements for 1.7 of or IE. Um, I'm sorry, IE7, uh, and IE8 is kind of in that territory long term too. I think um, definitely supporting IE9 and above very well. But uh, 1.4, as long as you're not tied to really old browsers. Um, you should be in really good shape to upgrade to, to 1.4. There are very, very few breaking changes, and they're all documented. Then the team went on to talk about uh, 1.5, uh, that they are planning. Uh, they're going to do an, an in-the-public planning process as they did 1.4. In fact, if you search for it, you can find the 1.4 planning meeting. It's a Google Hangout video chat. Uh, where the team is, you know, taking on pieces of 1.4 and then delivering them uh, for this release. They're going to base 1.5 um, based on the community needs. Uh, and this is where they really drive home that you're part of it. So, you know, the comments and the issues. So even if it's a plus one for a feature you want, building an issue for a feature that you feel needs to be addressed, um, committing pull requests, they all go into what goes into 1.5. And so, so that's uh, really a good thing. And they feel that 1.5 should be a step towards Angular 2. Um, you know, the new router is a big deal. The new animate is, is, is a factor. Um, they're thinking 1.5 is really sometime around the, you know, maybe the late summer time frame. I don't want to give any official answers because they don't have them. But they were looking at their velocity now, and they feel that uh, they probably could achieve something sometime in the mid to late summer, possibly. But there's no bets there. So they want help. They would love to have your help. Um, you know, if you want to add feature support, um, if you want to contact the team, they recommend that if you're going to do anything like that, that you do reach out. They're very approachable, and they can give you guidance. Um, but the first thing you need to do is basically go and become a contributor, you know, and that's, you know, follow their guidelines, which are on the website, and, you know, fork the repo. Um, I'm sure there's a contributor agreement there. Um, but make sure that you start having a dialogue with them. Um, one other thing that they felt could really help is to go through the 
issue list and kill outdated issues um, because there's probably some uh, issues in there that uh, could you know basically stand to die <laughs> so um, anyway so that was the status of 1.4 um, and I thought that was a, a really good talk certainly uh, their continuing development of 1.x as long as the developer community uh, is using it so I don't think it will go away until you know the, the lights go off and the doors shut and everyone realizes yes we can re reallocate our resources over to two which again I think is a really really good plan for the team so there's a lot of other fun stuff there um, I know there was a, a, a talk that everyone loved um, <laughs> called NG Watt uh, that's the uh, the, uh, the angular take on the JavaScript what talk and if you do a search on JavaScript the WAT Watt you'll find a hilarious talk um, uh, by someone else um, who um, basically uses it as a way to make fun of JavaScript because it is an old language with a lot of strange features built into it uh, and it has a lot of funny funny animated uh, gifs in that talk so um, uh, a gentleman named Shai uh, from Israel uh, who's a, a developer and also a stand-up comedian um, at least he calls himself that I think he is he's very funny um, did an, an, an NG Watt talk that was so funny that you couldn't stop laughing. Now, you know, this is the typical uh, nerd humor thing, right? So um, if you weren't an Angular developer, you would not get 80% of it. But what you would get is all the really, really funny animated GIFs. You know, things like uh, camels dancing and, uh, uh, you know, I can't even describe them all, but I will take a couple of the quick screen grabs that I did and throw them in the show notes. Absolutely hilarious talk. And when it comes up on GitHub, uh, or I'm sorry, on uh, YouTube, you will want to watch it. It's just killer and absolutely hilarious. Um, and the other talks for the day were also very, very good. Um, I don't really have time to go through all of them now. Uh, but, you know, definitely I'll, I'll be blogging with a little more detail. Uh, there was a really nice talk on prototyping in Angular um, from two people on, on a Google team that used Angular as their prototyping tool. And, and both of them were, were very, very good. Uh, at laying out things you could do to take advantage of uh, Angular to quickly iterate your prototypes. Things like making, uh, you know, live prototypes where you can change settings by changing, you know, URL uh, paths. So, you know, change your styles instantly, um, change your layout instantly, um, you know, A-B testing kind of stuff. And they even showed an example that they, uh, they used Google's voice recognition API to say, hey, why don't you go with the, you know, the square stylings or the embedded or the animating stylings. So that was a really good talk. Um, I will cover that at some point later in a blog post because it's pretty technical and uh, really doesn't go well in speech. Um, and there, there was a talk on bench press, their, their, their benchmarking tool, which I think I'm going to start using as soon as I am done with this conference. Um, excellent, excellent tool. Uh, it, it basically lets you, you know, write Jasmine tests basically with, uh, actually technically it's, it's, it's using Protractor. Um, and they're doing this, as I mentioned before, BenchPress. BenchPress is embedded in Angular 2 as the core benchmarking platform, but they're making it available to you as well. Um, and basically your spec and your app get wrapped in a benchmark uh, and executed. Um, and they even have, for example, um, Yeoman templates to build these things out which is just excellent. Um, and 
And so I would highly recommend that if you're doing anything sophisticated, any large application in Angular, or even just trying to figure out whether an approach that you're going for is going to be faster or not, it's very hard to tell without actually running something in the wild. And BenchPress is your platform for that. It's, it's absolutely imperative if you're going to do any kind of profiling of your application that you step back and try to come up with some benchmarks that you can use and, and definitely take a look at that. Um, and that's, again, something that you can get to uh, with even with NPM install bench press. So look for that in the NPM module system. Look for the, for the documentation. It'll point to a GitHub repo. And, um, you know, you can get started with it right away. So that's, that's absolutely something if you're going to be doing anything in Angular that to look at. Um, and that's it. So I think uh, everything else is just, you know, swimming in a sea of comments at my, on my uh, tablet at this point. But, uh, you know, definitely start looking uh, for the YouTube talks. I'm sure they'll go up soon um, for Angular, uh, for ng-conf. I will have another update at the end of today um, uh, for uh, Angular ng-conf for day two. So this is Ken Ripple from Chariot signing off.